Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon Training Card Games premier podcasting duo. My name is J.W. Crewall, and I'm joined by my good, good friend, Riley Holbert. Riley, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm on location in San Diego. I, I enjoyed myself so much, I couldn't bear to leave. You know when I start the cast that Riley's somewhere else. So <laughs> how has San Diego been treating you? It's been so good, dude. It coming from the the tundra of Madison, Wisconsin, and being somewhere that's just temperate. It's nice. You know, the downtown area is super fun. Lots of good food. Um, it's been a really nice week that I spent here. Um, I'm ready to go back. I'm definitely a little bit of a homebody. I like I like to be home in my own bed with my cats, but. I've had a great time out here for sure. Well, so tell us about what's happening, right? You were there for the regionals and it just so happened that you had a work obligation. Yeah. So I have a, I have a project for work that's out here in San Diego. Um, so I come about once a month and it just so happens that the, the week that I'd be traveling for work was directly after the regional championship. Uh, so actually, I kind of lumped those trips together. I flew out, work paid for that flight. Free airfare. Uh, I had to cover like the extra days of the hotel, but yep. because the flight itself was the same price, they still covered it. Um, and yeah, I've just been here ever since. And beautiful hotel, uh, beautiful place to be. And uh, getting a lot of done work-wise too, which is good. <laughs> beautiful beaches, beautiful ladies. So I hear. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure. Many people are saying this. Yes, I yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that sounds it's nice. It's definitely not man. like beach weather right now, to be honest. Like it's a little too cool for the beach, but yeah, um, it is really nice. It's very refreshing after being in like the snow. <laughs> I kind of wish you had invited me. Well, I actually, well, you were invited to San Diego Regional, so I was. Yeah, too poor. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's not that. It's not that. We were watching the boys this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy, dude. We went to the zoo. Okay. One of the one of the boys, you know, so we were watching, you know, mom's got uh, mom's got cancer. If this is the first time listening to the cast, mom's got cancer. So, you know, we watched the boys for about six weeks um, in like October, November. And then uh, periodically as she's getting treatments, we'll take them for like a weekend every, you know, couple weeks. So we rotate with a few other families there. So this was our weekend to take them. We took them to the zoo because we try to do, get them out of the house a little bit, you know, yeah. get them some culture, get them some, you <laughs> some know, culture. something to do, like a place to run around to be completely honest with you. So it was the zoo. One of the boys actually, well, both of them, but, but one of them was the main culprit hopped the fence to the leopards. And we didn't know. I mean, clearly like you know, this isn't the Cincinnati zoo. So like, there's not just like a four foot fence and you know, then you fall into a gorilla pit, but there is the hot, the fence and he's in the brush. And we think that it's only one more fence to the leopard and the leopards run up and they charge them. And we're like, get back, get back on the other side. Cause we're like nervous, you know, as they're charging, you know, we see it all in slow motion. Like, oh my gosh this boy is just going to get his head ripped off by the, by the leopard. Oh my God. Thankfully there was like a secondary border. So they had no shot of like being in any danger or anything, but that like got the adrenaline pumping for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd be freaking out. I was freaking out. I was like, that was the first time I yelled at them, but for, you know, for safety reasons, not cause I was 
I don't yell at them. I'm not saying I yell at them. Yeah, I'm going to walk that back. I'm not saying I'm yelling at them. That was the first time that I had ever yelled at them. And it was for safety reasons, but it was crazy, man. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't even like necessarily yelling at them as much as like you were yelling. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Well, and it was funny because there was some like college students nearby and the whole ordeal is happening. And they're like, Oh my gosh. Whoa, no, you know? And then we hear them just talking. They're like, Whoa, that was so cool. You know, after we get them out, they're like, Whoa, that, that was crazy. Wow. That was so cool. I can't believe I saw that. You know, I can't believe they jumped the fence. I, I came on the right day. Yeah. <laughs> Almost saw a beast. I mean, those animals. You got to watch out. You got to watch out. You, you, you got to watch out for the freaking jaguars, man. <laughs> or the leopards. They're going to get you. They are. They are. Speaking of animals on the prowl, we got to talk about your dominating finish in San Diego. Well, I wouldn't say it was dominating. It kind of, it kind of, you know, we were really excited for you, Riley. And then, and then it's been like a lot of these tournaments where it's just kind of fallen off at the end. You know, we we're still searching for that ultimate goal. You had a top 32 run in San Diego. I'm sure many of our listeners would be overjoyed with that finish, but this is your third, fourth, fourth top 32 or higher this season. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I don't Walk have us a through placement. It below top 32 besides uh the dnf in toronto well 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 what's it like it's good yeah what so what is it what's your point total at this point like two three hundred three hundred okay yeah i was gonna say like 280 yeah you're like better than that (laughs) you're you're i mean you're kind of in the hunt for maybe a stipend a little stippy maybe i mean um it's always tough to like really get the stipends if you miss events um, so like I haven't gone to everything and I won't be at Australia. So it's, it's tough. Like, could I get one? Yeah. But also like whiffing in Toronto kind of sucks for that. Um, but it's, it's definitely like on my mind for sure. Like if I have a really good performance to round out the quarter, um, definitely a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, you're on a tear for sure. Let's talk about San Diego. It was cool. It's cool to watch you, you know, hear about the, hear about the rounds and everything. Walk us through, let's first go through the deck because yeah. I think a lot of players um, would be interested to know about our, you know, the Lugia list that, that, you know, you brought and um, that the, the squad brought. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally um, we came into the weekend still thinking that Lugia was you know, the best deck and the deck that we wanted to play the most. Um, it was somewhat interesting as well because, like I talked about last week, the lack of vendors on Friday as well as the 8 p.m. Friday decklist submission did play a legitimate role in like how we factored into our deck, uh, both yeah. because we perceived that the meta would be more vanilla than maybe it would be otherwise, um, and we ourselves maybe didn't have access to to certain cards if we wanted to like swap to a crazy deck. You know, we really had to to pick our battles. So Lugia was, was sort of the obvious choice if we thought the metagame was going to be vanilla. Um, and we just came off of a really successful weekend um, yeah. in Arlington. So that was by far and away, like the prevailing thought we had going in is like, we're just going to play Lugia for sure. Um, what it came down to was a lot of discussion about sort of the minutia, right? right. We, obviously we started with our Arlington, 60 because it netted Andrew and I collectively two top 16 or higher finishes. 
uh, which is really, really solid when only three people played the deck. <laughs> so yeah. Combined. Uh, what was our record combined? Pretty good. Yeah. It was pretty good. Combined. Yeah, like, uh, 25 and <laughs> 10 or something. <laughs> something. Something like that. Crazy. How like almost all those <laughs> or almost half those losses came from one person. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we won't talk about uh, that, but yeah. So, you know, we were feeling good about Lugia and it was really just like, what are those final card choices that we want to make to round out the deck? Ultimately, the changes that we made, um, we decided to cut down slightly on our Lugia line. We played a 4-2 line in Arlington. We felt like the 4 Lugia V wasn't really mm -hmm. adding a ton of value. Um, we weren't like starting it substantially more by playing the fourth one. Right. Uh, and you never needed 4 in your deck throughout right. the game. Right. Um, so we cut that down to 3. So a 3-2 line, which is kind of odd to say, considering Lugia is the namesake of the sure. deck but sure but realistically most games with lugia and you've alluded to this many times is lugia is kind of fundamentally a one prize deck that has a setup pokemon that is a multi-prize attacker as well um so we leaned into that hard with a three two lugia line uh and then we also decided that we wanted to play the amazing rare raikou uh the main reason that we sort of Good leaned choice. into that angle was uh, we had talked a lot about sort of lost box or tricky decks that try and like stunt on the Lugia. Um, and we realized that one way that you can add sort of win conditions to your deck is by playing the amazing Raikou. You know, when I think of a Veltal, which is the other sort of Aurora energy hog, so to speak, um, Veltal is really good against big, chunky, like multi-prize attackers. Like a Duraludon, um, like another V-Star. very, very inefficient against like your average like reggie for example attacking with eveltal actively feels bad against reggie because you're mm -hmm. burning so many energy to get one knockout um so that's where what led us down the route of playing raikou because raikou is a great way to you can knock out a regilecki and, and damage another reggie for example to set it up for a stoutland you can take two prizes multiple times in the yep. lost box matchup uh, if they're not able to get a mana fee down, for example, um, or they or, neglect to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or and you have you have the the options, right? Because you could go in with a Stoutland, and then you could follow that up with a Raikou, right? And right. You so even Stoutland if they knock out the mana fee, and then yeah, exactly, <laughs> and then KO with the Raikou. The following, like the plays that Raikou opens up, we felt like were substantial. Also, if you happen, this is kind of a niche scenario, I would say, but if you happen to go first and your opponent starts a Lugia V in the mirror, sure, Raikou is far and away the best attacker to just take that knockout. Sure. Um, so our final decision then um, was around what do we cut for the Raikou and do we feel like our energy count is up to snuff to support the Raikou? Uh, we'd ran 15 energy in Arlington and Andrew and I both had commented that 15 felt like exactly enough energy. Yeah, right. You had to be very cautious with 15. Right. You had to be savvy about using the energy because you could run out mm -hmm. at 15. Um, so we decided we wanted a 16th energy as well because Raikou is, uh, is what we call like an Aurora energy hog. Like it took three Auroras. Yep. Um, so having like some additional leeway there for your Aurora attackers uh, felt super valuable to us. Plus the fact that, you know, now that we're playing another attacker, we didn't want to, to have the capacity to run out of energy, right? Like we wanted to keep going and fueling. Um, so that's the direction we went. And the more interesting thing about that is that um, we ended up cutting the choice belts to accommodate that. We It came down to the wire, and we were basically debating um, like choice belts versus the lost vacuums, 
essentially as sort of the cards that were on the cutting block and also like maybe Drapion V, but we kind of still liked the Drapion. Ironically, I didn't use Drapion at all over the weekend, but which is funny because in Arlington, that was your MVP. Yes. Yeah. Arlington, it got me so many match points yeah. and, and you was the second place finisher in San Diego. So it didn't necessarily yeah. feel like a bad choice. Uh, you just, just didn't, didn't come didn't up, play any. which is yeah. fine. You know, that's, that's how techs work. Um, so we decided though, like, Hey, if we're going to play, we want the stadium outs with the lost vacuums. We want the parasol outs for the Duraludons, you know, in the same spirit as Raikou, lost vacuum gives you more ways to win games. Sure. Um, on the flip side, we felt like choice belt was a good card, but it didn't really give you more ways to necessarily win. Sure. What I mean by that is, um, Let's say you're in the Lugia Mirror, which is the one that most relevantly uses the Choice Belt, especially if you play Drapion, right? Um, in the Lugia Mirror, if you ha- your opponent has a, a Lugia V-Star, for example, that just took a knockout and has a V-Guard energy on it, this is like the, the real situation where a Choice Belt matters. You have to answer that Lugia immediately. You have no choice but to do that. Yep. And the easiest way to do that, if you're factoring a Choice Belt, is with your own Lugia. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you've now given up so many prizes and your opponent has just had such a leg up on you that I don't really think you're realistically winning that game, even if you hit the choice belt. Like, yeah, you have a better chance, but you're sure. not realistically winning. The sure. realistic route to win that situation is to attack with the evil tall, which right. doesn't need a choice belt. Uh, yeah, and just so, clear clear the V-guard because you know there's only one. Right. And then, and then you, you have your other attackers. Later. Right. Um, and... You know, Charizard is another factor, right? Hitting that 250, bigging it up to 280. But realistically, when you're trying to use Charizard, you're, pro- you're probably not swinging into Lugia V-Stars. You're swinging into Luminion. You're swinging into other... You're swinging into Archeops. You're swinging into, like, regular sure. Vs on the bench. Sure, or or um, it's to respond to an opponent's Charizard or Evelta. Right. Like, you're trading exactly. the one-prizers. So, ultimately, we felt like the value of choice belt was more superficial than practical is how I would describe it. You know, totally. it's a card that feels good and powerful. And I've, I've been a huge sort of advocate for this philosophy over the last year. Um, uh, for example, like in Milwaukee, I was, or sorry, not in Milwaukee in Indianapolis, I was very against Avery uh, in the Wimscott deck. Cause it was a card that felt good, but didn't necessarily add a lot of value. Um, and I felt the same way kind of about choice belt in Lugia going into San Diego. It only really added incremental value in the mirror. And it yep. felt good when you used it, but that wasn't actually winning you that many games, especially right. because in Lugia, it is so hard to like consistently hit cards like that in your deck. You know, if it's yes. not a supporter or a Pokemon, how yeah. the heck were you drawing that thing? <laughs> that's so true. I mean, that's a really good point is like, there's no way to search out these items in the deck. There's no way to get your choice belts when you need them. So when, you know, testing groups like Isaiah Bradner's said, you know, very famously, you know, you're stupid if you don't play three choice belt, you know, there's a reason that they said that because it's it's really hard to hit. Yeah. Yeah, It's a hard card to hit. And you like, I do kind of agree with him. Like, I think if you're going to lean into choice belts, you should play like three, honestly. Yeah. Like two felt kind of mediocre. Yeah. And one is a no go. Like I would. Yeah. There's just no reason to play one. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you think, you think about the meta right now, you have Lugia, obviously the kind of biggest deck, 30% of the metagame, 30 plus percent of the metagame. You have Mew, second biggest deck. You like Choice Belt for those matchups, but you've already kind of outlined there are ways to get around. And especially with Mew, you have Yveltal and Drapion. So you can win that matchup. That's not a big deal. You look at everything else. 
<laughs> Reggie's lost box, just the random stuff, you know, that's all playing these one prizers, right? There's just these one prize decks after one prize decks and the rest of the field just feels the choice belt's such a dead card yep. compared to almost anything else that you could play any other tech that you were considering. Yeah. And I was, if, even if we didn't play Raikou, I was kind of already on the mindset of, I would rather cut my choice belts. I was considering like playing the, uh, the captivating aroma, for example, sure. instead of choice belts, just playing like two of those, you know, and just amping up the consistency of my deck. Um, and ultimately, like, I felt like that was the right call for the weekend. If you looked at the top tables throughout the tournament, you'd see a lot of Lugia, but the choice belt, like we just outlined, didn't feel crazy good in the mirror. Um, and there was a ton of one price decks. Reggie was huge at the top tables, especially in day one. Um, and Lost Box was, of course, everywhere as well. And choice belt, again, being completely dead in those matchups really feels like you're putting yourself at a disadvantage uh, to be honest, because you're not using your deck as effectively as you could. Sure. Sure. Now, I mean, that's a, it's a good thing, right? To talk about it. It's just like how to maximize every single card. We talk about it a lot, but I think this is a classic example of you saying, how much is the choice about really going to help? Especially when I have the routes against the other multi-prize decks. Right. And I think the Drapion is really what pushed that over the edge. Just the yes, fact that definitely. we did have a clear out versus Mew um, remove sort of the need overhanging us to to play the belts so and overall like neither none of us regretted the choice that weekend it was it felt like a solid call um so I, I how did if anybody I, takes anything away from this yeah i would just say like you know be cognizant of, of the cards that fall into that bucket right the cards that are maybe sort of superficially valuable instead of really accelerating your win conditions yeah um, totally and i mean you weekend, can how, was that card. right and how do you how do you identify those I identify those by saying, okay, this is a, you know, especially with a card like Choice Belt, it's like, this is specifically good for against V Pokemon, right? I mean, it's obvious, right? There's a, it's a condition for V Pokemon and it does nothing anywhere else. But sometimes those are good cards. Sometimes you want those in your deck, but that's, you know, kind of how do you identify what those cards are, Riley? To some extent, they almost feel like they come up naturally. Uh, I'll go back to the Avery example, actually. Um, Avery is a card in, in Whimsicott way back in the day that felt really good to play. You know, your opponent had a five Pokemon bench and making them discard it, it makes you feel good. It gives you warm fuzzies. Um, but that means you're playing like effectively a half a draw supporter. When and, you have the options of research available. Right. Instead of like doing something better for that turn, like a boss or a research or a Marnie. Um, yeah, sure. And the opportunity cost there is how you should measure it, right? Like, is the opportunity of discarding my opponent's bench Pokemon, is the opportunity of doing 30 more damage to a V Pokemon worth it in exchange for potentially something more consistent or in exchange for potentially a leg up in a different matchup that I'm more concerned about? Um, and I think we're very quick in the Pokemon community to kind of write sort of cards off as sort of staple inclusions in decks without being thoughtful about why I'm really including this in my deck. Yeah, totally. And I mean, there's, there's something to be said for having, you know, uh, you don't want to try to reinvent the wheel every time you play a deck, but you should always be trying to ask yourself, is this card necessary? And furthermore, is this card helping me win games? You know, is this card going to advance my win condition in a way that I can't get from any other card that's, you know, that I could play? And is this, um, you know, versatile? right? Is this a versatile card? And I think that's for choice belt as well. 
good against the multi-prize decks, but not necessarily needed and useless against everything else. <laughs> exactly. So, so I, I thought it was just like an interesting exercise for us to go through because we were very against cutting the choice belts earlier in the day. And as the conversation progressed, like we sort of circled the drain on that being our conclusion. Yeah. So what um, was the, so Zeely and Andrew Mahone both played the same 60. How did they finish? Yeah. Andrew ended up dropping at three losses. He okay. was four and three at the time. He could have easily gotten to six and three, uh, but uh, decided that he'd rather just enjoy San Diego. With that, that that's, time. Yeah, that's, that's super kind fair. of similar to what happened with me in Toronto, where it's like, if I'm not playing for day two, I feel like I'm going to go to enough regionals that yep. I will get the points regardless with the best finish of six. So why not enjoy myself? And yep. so he kind of did that here. Um, and then Zeely made day two as well at six, two, one, he was six, one, one, and then uh, lost his last round, unfortunately, but he came in and had a relatively rough day two. Yeah. He finished 65th on opponent's resistance. That's so, so crushing. It is. It is crushing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I finished 20th, uh, as the highest placing, um, after losing my final round in a mirror match, uh, the choice belts had nothing to do with it, <laughs> but I, I did lose the coin flip and had some really, really ugly hands over those games. Um, yeah. Well, was, and it's, in, it's interesting too. We saw you win a number of mirror matches just following the standings. And also you had that game against Piper on stream. Yeah. I, yeah. I won multiple i think i was actually favored in the mirror over the weekend very slightly um and of the mirrors that i lost i think i lost two one of them was to michael zealy playing the same 60 cards yeah right um, yeah it's like so hard like, to if you discount you know. that the only mirror i lost to actually was alex mcneil yeah um and it had really nothing to do with the choice belts it more had to do with like Oh, I'm getting like one Archeops in play on turn three. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, the just typical, like typical Lugia goes, things. Right? Lugia yeah, is, yeah, totally, totally. Lugia has its highs and its and its lows. Um, but yeah, I, I did lose that last round, which would have locked me for for top eight. I uh, would have loved to have made the back to back. That would have been really cool. Um, but you know, it's tough to it's tough, and I'm happy. I'm happy to some extent that I put myself consistently within yeah. that spinning yeah. distance, like. I think that is a long-term good sign of us getting sort of those bigger finishes over time. Uh, but it is of course like kind of soul crushing in a way to be so close and, yeah. and still yeah. so far. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, I get that for sure. I'm sure the people at home are wondering, did you wear the manscape boxers for this run? <laughs> I did. I did. I wore the manscape boxers and I was a little bit worried because round one, I sat across from Azul Garcia Grego and I'm like, oh, this, my day is just going <laughs> to be a nightmare. Yeah. Well, your day kind of was a nightmare in day one. I did. It was I a gauntlet. Really hard dude. day one. Uh, so I played Azul. I got up to like three and oh, I play Zeely in the mirror. Uh, and then, then I hit like Piper, then Rahul, then Drew Kennett. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is going on? Yeah. This, this is like a world's day two. <laughs> yeah. Caliber. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. This is like a world's day. Like I could show you my my matchups, and this easily could have been a world's day too. Yeah. Um. And so that was like relatively funny, but um, yeah, it was a, it was a tough day one, and finished uh finished seven and two. I I told my girlfriend at the start of the day like, hey, you know, I 
I'm trying to go 9 0 today. <laughs> <You know? laughs> sort of jokingly, because, like, of course, like, why wouldn't I go 9 0? Yeah, right. That's that's, that's what, what we're trying to do. do. Yeah, we're not trying to uh, lose here. I, the fact that I made it all to 7 and 1, I was like, man, I'm, I could go 8 and 1 right now. Like, that's pretty dang close. That's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> I almost uh, did what I said. I was round 9 against Drew Kennett. Uh, game one, I he put a turn one path of the peak playing Reggie's in play, and I yeah. had zero path outs in my team. That is so tough. <laughs> and then in game two, uh, I prized not Manaphy, not Dead Sparks, but both Manaphy and Dead Sparks. Yeah, and against Reggie, those are your like quintessential techs. <laughs> so it was like, it was a real nightmare game. Um, but, you know, going 7 2 into day two, you can't, can't regret that. And and day two honestly wasn't super, super notable throughout the day. Um, I a lot. I had played many of the people who made top eight. Uh, I played Makani and G Shenucci and um, and Alex McNeil. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably the biggest heartbreaker for me, even more so than uh, playing against Alex and losing, was against G Shenucci. I. <laughs> Uh, it was just like kind of a lame series, which is what Dorald on aims to do. Yeah. Um, is to yeah. make the game as lame as possible. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Um, That's not an indictment on that. No, it's not. I, it's just I the deck Durald is very, on. the deck is very like, you know, yeah, the, if you have it, then you have it. To yeah. Remove the win conditions and yeah, it, exactly. You know? Exactly. And so, uh, in game three versus Jishen Nucci, um, he, uh, just I Marnie him on like turn two, and from that hand he has the double boss to like take out the Archaeopses, um, which is exactly what he should go for. It's just crazy that he just had it all right there. Yeah, <laughs> so, you're mad. But that's how You're Toronto mad. works, you know. That's yeah. you know, it's, it's just in their hands sometimes. Yeah, no, and it's like, and you just you know, you shake your opponent's hand, and you're like, hey, you you got it, you know, you got me, right? There's not much you can do with that. So I also got deck checked four times in day two. <laughs> They were, they were looking at you a little sideways, dude. The craziest thing was they only ever found like three sleeves over that entire period that even had to be replaced. <laughs> and that was on the fourth deck check. The first three were fine. <laughs> so, That's pretty funny. I don't, I don't know what happened there, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a good tournament. It was a lot of fun. I had really great opponents the whole weekend. I, I enjoyed to some extent sort of the challenge of it, <laughs> you know, yeah. having these really noteworthy players uh, in my bracket. Um, so 10 out of 10 experience for sure. The only thing that was missing was uh, making that top eight. Really? That's the only thing? The only and thing winning. missing? The only thing missing? Maybe like a friend that wasn't there? I can't think of one. Perhaps maybe someone you know very well who couldn't make the trip. Oh, you're talking about Adler. Yeah. Adler was able to make it this time, but uh, he'll be there for sure in, uh, in Orlando. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, what's the next tournament for you? I am going to Orlando. So I'm really excited to, uh, to get back to it. What's your next tournament? Yeah. Um, I did register for Orlando when registration opened. Yeah. I'm not hundred percent sure if I'm going to go. Um, Flights are a little more expensive than I would like, uh, at least for going to Orlando, because typically the flights there are pretty cheap through Spirit and Frontier. Uh, but Madison's not really a big hub for Spirit and Frontier. So, but I did register just in case. I'm going to make the judgment call in the next week or so. Otherwise, I'm I'm looking more towards March as yeah. as my future tournaments. Um, well, you got EUIC. And uh, yeah, I have EUIC. 
in, in April as well. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So that's that. Anything else you want to talk about with San Diego? Anything surprising, notable, unique? Um, um, well, oh, oh, I, I did want to bring up, it looked like the venue was a little small. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The venue was crazy small. I only no. saw pictures and I only saw the stream and I, I saw like one comment in the group chat where you're like, eh, it's a little cramped, but tell us about the venue. I, it was nothing crazy. It's, it is a nice convention center. You know, this yeah. is the same place they do Comic-Con, you know? Like, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like it is, it was a very nice venue. I just think like maybe we could have used like one more hall or something. Um, and it, you know, it kind of showed through the TO's communication over the last few months is they maybe weren't really prepared for the volume of people who sure. were going to sign up. Um, but yeah, especially on day one, it was super cramped. It was just like a little bit too little space. It felt similar in size to the Arlington venue, which I thought was cramped for a larger group. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like the vendors, for example, you could not like comfortably stand by the vendor tables. Oh, and, like, wow and look at stuff because there's it was just there's a little bit many. much yeah um, as the tournament went on and as the day went on like you got to day two and it was like fine obviously yeah uh, late day one was fine but especially like early day one it was really kind of uncomfortable um especially coming out of you know the immediate post-covid era when we had like double spacing between seats uh, this is a very stark contrast to that, <laughs> that period of time totally what's COVID anyway wouldn't know, man. Wouldn't know. As JW turns away from the microphone to cough. <laughs> I sneeze. Thank you. It's a it's a head cold. Okay. It's a head cold. <laughs> so San Diego. Very good. I think it's time now we transition into our card of the day. Riley, you have card of the day for us this week. Hit me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my card of the day for this week is a very special Pokemon to me. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and read their dex entry. Let me just pull it up here. And it's more about the Pokemon is more special to me than like the card itself. Oh, okay. It's Pichu. Um, Got it. All right. Moving on. <laughs> no, it's not Pichu. <laughs> um, all right. Let me, where's the Pokedex entry on this card? What the heck? It's not there. All right, we'll have to freaking Google their Pokedex entry. Um, one second. I'll edit this right. in post. All right, ready? Born. Uses its gleaming fins to hunt its prey. The view of this Pokemon schooling near the surface of the sea at night is breathtaking. It's as though there are shining stars right there. Okay. This screams a water Pokemon. <laughs> Good catch. Yeah. Some type of fish that lights up in some way. Uh huh. Is it a lantern? No, that is a noble effort, though. That is a really noble effort. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a gold star for that one. But uh, the card of the day for today is Luminion. Oh, that not, would have been my second. Not Luminion V, um, although that is a card that is a, brought me a great deal of success in Lugia. It is actually 
uh, Stormfront Luminion, an evolving Luminion. Uh, Finion is one of my favorite Pokemon just because it's so niche and so stupid. You know, it's just a like fish. no one else likes this Pokemon. Except yeah, for- like, you know, it's just a fish. <laughs> You're spitting, bro. Uh, so the Luminion from Stormfront is always a card that I found interesting, mostly because I, I, are, I have like a bias towards the Luminion line and this one actually has like a cool ability. Um, it was like the only Luminion card that had like noteworthy card text on it prior to Luminion B. And it has the Fin Luster ability where if Luminion is your active Pokemon, you can put one of your opponent's basic Pokemon from their hand onto their bench and Ooh. switch it with the defending Pokemon. So it's kind of like a Gust plus a Captivating Pokepuff in the same ability, uh, which is really cool, Ooh. honestly. Uh, and, you know, it's just a fun Pokemon. Well, the, it's the not... Whole, like, an ability it's a poke power uh, all right dude <laughs> but i i like the diamond and pearl era of cards a lot i feel like they're yeah. really cool have like interesting effects they make for good Obviously. cube cards i will say there's they like a lot of like cards. that was you know that was pre um kind of the great reset right i, I always think of like heart gold soul silver and to uh, an even greater extent black and white as being like they got really complex with all these cards and then they just kind of like reset everything around, you know, black, white, dark, gold, soul, silver, right? Where everything goes a little simpler. But this is, you know, mountains of text on some of these cards. <laughs> yeah, you know, you think of like, of like Dusnar level X. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Prime example. Uh, you know, those kinds of cards don't really come out anymore. The ones that are full on tomes. Uh, and this Luminion's got a, a great deal of tome level to it. Um it's just funny, you know. I, I like this kind of stuff. Great cube card. Luminion's a funny Pokemon because it's just a fish. So, sure is. Love it. Sure is. Very good. Well, you know what's not fishy? What's that? The presenters of this cast, Manscaped. Absolutely not. You don't want your down there smelling anything less than the best. And I think one of those ways you can keep your junk feeling fresh is with all the fine products at manscaped manscaped has been a presenter of this cast a sponsor of this cast for a long time now and we are just raving about their products we cannot stop riley give us an overview of what you've enjoyed from manscaped yeah honestly everything that i've used from manscaped i've really really enjoyed they're great they're aesthetic they work super well feel good um, so I can't like speak well enough about their products. Listeners of the cast may know that I am a huge, huge fan of the Manscaped boxers, uh, particularly the new boxers 2.0 are super comfortable mm-hmm. and they are a good luck charm. I'm not kidding. I wear my boxers 2.0 at every single tournament uh, over the last year. And the only tournaments where I haven't worn them are coincidentally the only tournaments where I have not made day two so if you're looking to pick up a day two without an id one way you can do that is by slapping on your manscape boxers not proven by science but proven by by guts <laughs> we are x and one as a as a tag team combined on day twos with the boxers it's pretty incredible so if you want to get a pair of your own or something else for you a friend family member a lover head on over to manscaped.com use code tag team for 20% off plus free shipping head on over to manscaped.com 
Use code tag team. 20% off plus free shipping. It is potentially one of the best things you can do for yourself and your body in 2023. Head on over to manscaped.com. Use code tag team at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. Thank you so much to Manscaped for presenting and sponsoring the cast. Let's talk a little bit about our future moving forward here with Crown Zenith. We are getting this new, I hesitate to call it a mini set because it has about 160 cards in it. But a lot of them, you know, especially as you get into the trainer gallery, are reprints of cards. And for the most part, they're not going to have a huge impact on the game. Um, a lot of these cards are more for the aesthetic purposes, I, I would say, than really the yeah. competitive purposes. I would agree. But that said, we are getting a new set and it is releasing in the next few weeks. Riley, what are some cards that you're looking at as potential meta shakeups? Do you think that there's anything here that uh, you're really interested in testing heading into, you know, potentially Orlando, which would be the first North American tournament to, uh, to have these cards legal? Yeah, honestly, I think the Crown Zenith set is a little bit underwhelming from a competitive perspective. I don't think it was really designed to be a competitive set. You know, it feels like it leans more into the collector angle, which is totally fine. Like, that's how it works when you play a, a collectible trading card game like this. Um, some cards, though, do stick out to me. I think the one that I find the most interesting, and, and maybe it ends up going nowhere, but the one I find the most interesting is the Sky Seal Stone. Yeah. Um, that for those that are uninformed uh, it is a one of those v-star power stones and what this one does is if you use the ability on the stone and your basic v pokemon takes a knockout on an opponent's v max or v-star you get an additional prize card so mm -hmm. uh, it's a great way to um potentially shore up some prize exchanges that maybe were slightly unfavorable before uh, you know, you think of decks like Lugia against Lost Box, for example. Those games can really down the wire, like one, two prize differential deciding the game. Um, and having a card like the Sky Seal Stone is a great way to um, make up that differential. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, it's a great, you know, potential inclusion. And I only say potential because, you know, uh, it, untested. they're untested, right? Uh, but a, a good potential inclusion in, in the Lost Box because... Aside from maybe dabbling with, you know, the Force Seal Stone potentially, like we haven't really seen any V star powers in that deck. Um, so this one, yeah, I think you, you make a good point here. Being able to shore up the prize exchange against a deck like Lugia, that's what you kind of try to do with the Kyogre in that matchup. Uh, you know, if you're playing the water-based Lost box list is you use your Sableye to take out the Manaphy and then you'll ping, you know, either two Archaeops or a Luminion and an Archaeops, take those final few prizes. But now you have a way to, you know, kind of go through, um, you know, the main Lugia or gust up a Luminion, take that out, three prizes, even that up a little bit. Yeah, I think the one like fatal flaw of this guy Seal Stone is just the fact that you do have to use a V Pokemon. Uh, not only to use the V-Star power, uh, but to actually utilize the effect of the V-Star power. Yep. Um, so that's, you know, it's a little bit of a downside. You would you'd love to obviously attack with a single prizer and be able to get that much value, but that also would be kind of insane if you could. So <laughs> maybe for the best. <laughs> so, Got to balance it somehow. Yeah, I think it's for the best, but 
that is, of course, a downside. What about the Radiant Eternatus? I've been thinking a lot about this deck as a potential inclusion in, uh, you know, with something like uh, Arceus, or excuse me, with something like Duraludon as being able to, you know, play it with Comfy and Colrus and the Lost Box engine and, you know, accelerate to that with Mirage Gates. And, you know, you just get your Duraludons down. Those are going to be really hard for most any deck to gust up and also knock out in the same turn. Are there any, you know, combos that you're really looking at with, uh, with the Eternatus? Or are you thinking that that's pretty much a meme as well? Yeah, I mean, that is a, that is a, something that, that people are considering uh, playing like a combination of, I think, Drought on VMAX and Pikachu VMAX with yep. Lost Box was kind of the primary way to do it um, in Japan. And you can see like the appeal of that. You know, one of the biggest weaknesses of Duraludon is how difficult it is to sort of deal with the Veltal and how difficult it is to evolve up your Duraludons. By using Eternus, you implicitly skip the evolution part. Um, and if you're playing a Lost Box engine, let's say you Lost Box, put two Drought on V down immediately, or V Max, sorry. Um, and your opponent immediately responds by gusting and eval tulling. Well, it's fine because now you can just comfy and uh, throw up a Cramorant and just knock out the right. evil tall. And right. all of a sudden, like you're kind of back to square one. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential there. It skeeves me out a little bit. I feel like. I put so much value on the Radiant Greninja as sort of an essential cog in the machine of Lost Box. Um, so I'm not convinced that another Radiant Pokemon would do a like Mirage Gate heavy focused Lost Box version yeah. justice. But I think there's just some implicit potential of being able to throw down a powerful Pokemon like Dravaladon. Um, so it's something I, I definitely will try out. Are there any other VMAXs beyond Pikachu and Duraludon? that you think have potential. I have a Melmetal VMAX sitting on my desk right here. Any chance for an under the radar VMAX to, uh, to, you know, make some headway with this type of deck? Potentially. I mean, the goal of course, with any of these VMAXs is going to be, um, to make it as hard to knock out as possible. Right. Sure. Um, so I think any VMAX that sort of leans into tankiness, healing, things like that are going to be the ones that do the best with Eternatus. Um, Pikachu does that through its attack and Duraldon does that through its ability. Um, so those are like some obvious sort of prime contenders. I don't think like, what I definitely don't think is is sort of more offensive VMAXs. I don't think those will work at all. Uh, you're really trying to to get out your, your big beefy boys. Well, you need to slow the game down, right? Because you are already going slow you're a turn. yeah you're yeah. exactly exactly on that turn you're not going to be attacking you're not going to be putting any pressure on your opponent the turn that you use the eternatus you might need to use it multiple times or you might miss it on the turn that you want it so you know there's a lot of these kind of factors at play but yeah i i you know i'm, I'm hoping that there might be a secondary v max that we just haven't yeah and honestly yet. like or tertiary v max I, I need to go through the classic exercise of like going on TCGO, <laughs> clicking VMAX and yeah. unfiltering and it going. and like seeing what happens. <laughs> I haven't done yeah. that yet, yeah. but uh, that is something I intend to do before yeah. comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny. I also wonder if there like maybe could be a stall archetype. You know, we've right. yeah, talked about a, like, like an Umbreon stall. Aspect. Yeah, Umbreon, Corviknight, you know, that kind of thing where you save some spots in your deck potentially by playing the Eternatus 
because you, you know, if you play like a three, three, then you just don't have to include the basics. Right. And you can just get out the, the V maxes like that. So I'm also like kind of curious if there could be something stall related surrounding yeah. the alternatives. Any other cards from the set that you think could have an impact? It's very sparse. Although I will say, dear listeners, I am trying to collect. I'm making it my goal. I've never done this before. I'm making it my goal to collect a master set of Crown Zenith. <laughs> so if you, you know, if you have it in your heart, if you're opening some Crown Zenith and you pull a duplicate of a very expensive, I'll take, I'll take even, you know, mid tier expensive cards. But if you get a duplicate of a very expensive card and you want to send it my way, please, by all means. Or if you want to trade, I mean, I got some like stuff around, you know, I got some good, some good juice around, you know? So if you're feeling like you want to trade or something, you get a nice hit off crown Zenith. Let me know. I'm sure we can make something happen. Yeah. Honestly, not that many other cards really jump out at me. I think the only other card that's gotten any sort of traction discussion has been the, uh, the Zamazenta yeah. non V. Um, it's just sort of a solid single prize attacker. Um, the cool thing about that card is that it gives the lost box a little more of a shot into a Vika Volt deck. If you can find the energies, that is a pretty tough knockout for Vika Volt. And, oh yeah. you know, if you can, if you can a- attack twice, like they have to four hit or five hit you or to, relinquish to knock the you lock. Or relinquish the lock. Exactly. So, you know, if you can find a Zamazenta early, get an energy attachment, and then, you know, obviously get a couple more and be able to attack, like that's um, extremely good. And that gives you a solid counter to that deck, which you really previously didn't have. Like that's a pretty horrible matchup uh, from from my experience. Yeah. And Lugia or Vigable did just win uh, the San Diego region. We didn't mention that earlier, but uh, Vigable did win. Yeah. Well, if if you don't win, then who cares? So so true, Bestie. <laughs> so true. Okay. Very good. Well, lots to lots to think about. Well, I guess little to think about. Really, we talked about three cards, but you know, I mean, there's things to there's things to think about. Three things to think about. Right, and to some extent, like <laughs> a small amount of cards can have a large impact on a metagame. That's An example true. of that is you know, Lugia V Star and Archaeops is basically the the summation of of uh silver tempest and they warped the entire metagame around it so yeah absolutely absolutely so we'll be excited to see how that uh how that shapes you know the online tournaments hopefully i can play in a few you know we obviously the testing group will get together for orlando i know andrew's planning on going adler is going jesse is going i think zeely is probably going i have to imagine he'll be vending okay and then you know you potentially will be going so could be uh you know could be another another opportunity for us to make some waves absolutely last topic for today the game is getting huge the game is getting absolutely massive riley it is getting stupid big (laughs) we have currently registered for orlando 1500 players in tcg can you believe that it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, the tournaments are blowing up hardcore. Arlington was huge. San Diego was smaller, but... But, like, big capacity. for... Well, and big for the West Coast. I feel like, yeah, historically, I mean, West reason, Coast has been 
lower just in general. I don't know what Which it is. is. Maybe yeah. it's just harder to get to the locations or whatever it is, but historically it's been pretty low. This was a really solid, you know, well-attended regional. In San and lots more people would have signed up if they could have, uh, based on what I'm seeing, what I saw on social media. And I think, uh, you know, mostly it was just because the historical precedent wasn't there for the TO to prep for that, that many people. Yeah. Um, so we are seeing sort of a, an explosion in, in excitement about the game. I think the combination of sort of the post-COVID world where people are already excited about the trading card game in uh, in that era and the fact it's a new season. So people sort of feel the hope and the glimmer of the, mm. of the carrot on the stick, so to speak, uh, with going to Worlds. There is just so much energy around the game right now. It is awesome to see. Uh, it's a little bit overwhelming going to these gigantic tournaments, but uh, it is really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. We're on, I mean, we're on pace. Like if, if these numbers hold up, this will be the largest regional and uh, in Orlando. And one of the larger tournaments, just period, you know, it, and then you factor in the new games, right? Like you have Pokemon Go that yeah. is added to the mix. You factor in, you know, T the uh, VGC is having more players than ever. The these regionals are getting stupidly big. And, you know, you have, I see it on Twitter all the time, VGC players complaining about their prize structure, complaining about, you know, having to go through this gauntlet. And I'm just sitting back here like, oh, first time, you know, first time at a 700 person tournament. Like, <laughs> yeah, what sucks for VGC is they don't have day two Swiss. They don't. Yeah. And that makes it really hard because you could have, you know, a player who blew through day one, lose to a player that barely squeaked in. And just, you know, get absolutely pounded for that. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. We're only bringing this up to lead into next week's episode. We're going to do a little bit of a talk on what we might change. I mean, we all know that this is, I, I don't, I dare say it's a problem because that sounds a little elitist and like, you know, know your place, dude. Like that's a first world problem. So I, I hesitate to say, you know, the problem of so many people, but I, I think it is necessarily the fact there's so many people that's a problem right <laughs> well that's a good point yeah so we'll hash that out a little bit more next week but um there's you know what would we change right if, if we're gonna complain collectively as a community we should come up with some you know at least our idea of what we would imagine you know fair or you know i don't know again hate to say like a just you know prize payout or a fair uh tournament structure to be <laughs> but we'll uh we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit more next week that's a little bit of a primer. Uh, I agree. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. Yeah. So with that, Riley, it's been awesome to hear about your top finish in San Diego. Sorry, it wasn't a little bit better. We were all rooting for you. I told you I had a premonition about you winning, but um, clearly. I think if you kept your mouth shut, it would have happened. <sighs> you know how hard that is for me. <laughs> very, very hard. <laughs> So with that, thank you guys all so much for listening. Catch you on the cast next week. Thank you all so much for your listenership. And you can find us over on Twitter at tag team Pokemon for the podcast at smiles with Riles for Riley Holbert and the fire most flame memes of all time on my Twitter at real John Walter. Catch you next week. Thanks so much, everybody. We appreciate it. Peace. See ya.